If there's anybody watching this that, let's say, loved Batman Forever and went into Batman and Robin with great anticipation, if I, if I disappointed them in any way, then I really want to apologize, because it wasn't my intention. My intention was just to entertain them. Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new exclusive, well, it's free online, but a new episode of the ROD to the N... Oh, shit. <laughs> God damn it. The ROD to the A-N-E. First try. Welcome, Daniel, my beautiful, Welcome. delicious co-host. Delicious? Ooh, spicy. You're the sweet boy. Am I? And I'm the sour boy. That's how it works. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I, I agree with the sour boy part. Oh, all right. But if I'm a sour boy, then you're a sweet boy. Can't I be a savory boy? Well, you can't have it all, Daniel. What the fuck? You want to be a savory boy? <laughs> why I don't not know. Just, why not just call yourself the best boy? I mean, we can also just go with that. I mean... <laughs> That's the name of your... Fifth uh, autobiography, best boy, the best boy, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it, it's a photo of a wedding procession, and I'm just way in the back. <laughs> <laughs> you just photosh photoshopped your head on top of an actual wedding. All of all the people at the wedding. Oh no! If you're gonna have an autobiography called the best boy, then I want an autobiography that's that's called uh, your daddy. <laughs> Why why does that sound like what Hulk Hogan's autobiography would be called? Nah, his autobiography would be called Your Brother. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Brother. Brother. So my original idea was for this sort of summer, because I'm basically on summer holiday now, was for this period to be a look for internships. Hmm. But um Yeah. Let's, let's just say the ability to get an internship is nil, basically, unless you, like, know the company or anything, which I don't. Uh, so I decided instead to just focus my energy on making, you know, cool projects to show my skills, you know. I don't know. Uh. I like your feedback, Steven. <laughs> no, it sounds very cool. And I have some, I have some ideas of things to work on, which may or may not be previewed on this podcast. Whoa! Here you go, ladies and gentlemen, an exclusive. <laughs> Just keep yelling the word "exclusive," or <laughs> something's gonna happen. Something is gonna happen at some it's point. It's exclusive, indeed. Anything interesting you have to tell us about this week, Daniel? Have well, you watched anything worth a damn? Continue watching Harley Quinn. I finished season one. Yeah. Yeah. Right, what did you uh, do? Let's hear some impressions. Come on. Loved it. It's great. Is it not uh, the best TV show of the year? I mean, they're still normal people, which is pretty good. Yeah, but I have a lot more fun watching Harley Quinn. I mean, Harley Quinn is also made for you to have fun. Yeah, it's know? a comedy show. But... I will actually say there are there are a few things where so my fear with Harley Quinn going in was that it was going to be I don't know edgy for the sake of being edgy 
you know? Mm, gotcha, yeah. But, like Suicide Squad was. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes the the violence does get a little bit like that. Like there are, uh, I'm thinking of the episode where Holly Quinn goes to her parents. <laughs> there, there's some pretty excessive violence in that one where it kind of feels like, okay, you did it because you could, not because there really was a reason to. Which, okay, that's fine. It's, uh, but overall, like I really like the way they go with the characters, and I, it's a pretty well-made show as well. Like it looks good. Like, I love how they reinvented some of the Batman characters that beforehand were pretty boring, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, Bane. (laughs) I will blow you up. I will blow up this bar mitzvah. (laughs) Ah, Bane. Bane is low-key my favorite. Yeah, he he is a fan favorite, definitely. Uh, Also, Kite Man, the best and the worst. (laughs) The kite man with his 69 door sign. Oh my god, that was the war. <laughs> that was one of the best like reincorporations when Poison Ivy comes to his door later with an mm. actual nine because he turns like yeah. a six backwards and then he comes. She comes with an actual nine. Like here you go. Like I find their relationship very sweet. Yeah, like I, I, like for as much of a doof, kite man is, and he is basically just the biggest doof. Like I can, I can totally see what she sees in him in a way like yeah i really like what they did with poison ivy like yeah you know essentially she's not even a villain anymore she's more of an environmental terrorist sorry which you know makes sense yeah but isn't it funny that you know you get a bit of historical context you know this 10 years ago was considered a villain you know like oh somebody who wants to save the environment fuck those people right they're I mean, villains. there are. I mean, there are still people who are very active in saving the environment who are being branded as as eco terrorists. So it still happens. Yeah, but I feel like now it's a bit more. I don't know. the 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 audience that watches watches these types of shows understands what, you know, like what saving the environment is and what you know yeah. that actually has consequences and whatnot, like you know put into context 15 to 20 years ago al gore was made fun of relentlessly for being yeah. you know eco-friendly and save the environment and this stuff whereas yeah. now like even south park which made fun of al gore forever because like they that's that's where the whole man bear pig thing is yeah right? like oh, it's man bear pig and they had an episode like a year ago where they brought back al gore in which everybody was like Oh, like it was a metaphor essentially, but essentially they discovered that man bear pig was real uh, and that Al Gore was right the whole time, which, you know, you can sort of read between the lines of what that means, right? Yeah, uh, I, I, I remember reading when that episode comes out that it was basically a, because the entire man bear pig thing was supposed to symbolize like global warming and how much like people didn't take it seriously. Like yeah. it was bull, like how people thought it was bullshit or it was like, an urban you myth know, yeah yeah so that was symbolized through the idea of the man bear pig but this was basically them apologizing for it in a way yeah it's like oh man if we paid attention to man bear pig now we wouldn't have so many problems with the man bear pig and it's like yeah but i, I what i uh, just a bit tangent on that i love how even though they recognize 
that Al Gore was right. They still make fun of Al Gore <laughs> because uh, it is still South Park. Yeah, like they at some point Al Gore plays an inconvenient an inconvenient sequel. I think it's called for for yeah. the kids, and it's like the credit scroll, and it's all Al Gore's name. You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you like uh, Harley Quinn, right? Yeah, and I'm gonna continue with season two. Obviously, that just ended, right? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen the last episode. But okay. I I think so, yeah. I'm quite looking forward to that because you've been sending me videos from it. Uh I I I just love the characters so much. Like yeah. they're so like Clayface was such a boring character, now he's amazing. Yeah. And Jim and Gordon and Jim, Jim Gordon is like Jim Gordon is somehow the character they took the most like creative liberty with but also is like the most accurate. If you think yeah, about it, it makes sense. You know, like if if you would be a cop or the commissioner in a city so crazy like Gotham, full of all this nonsense, you would also be like an unhinged, crazy person, right? Yeah, and like uh, with Harley Quinn, I've also been watching a lot of the other DC animated stuff, such uh, as uh, there was a few movies. You know, DC has their own animated chronology, like their own animated universe. Yeah, based on the New Fifty Two timeline. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That that runs in like movies and there were a couple of those on on Netflix that I watched and they're fine. There was Which the ones? Death of Superman. Oh, Death I watched of Superman the Death. is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like uh, that. One. That one is pretty good. Uh there's a sequel to that, like a Yeah. The Rise but, of the Superman, I think it's called. Yeah, but that one is not uh it wasn't on Netflix, so I couldn't okay. watch it. Uh they also had one that was what was it called? The Fatal Justice League versus the Fatal 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- but that one is more in the in the style of the old the old animated series, so I don't know if it fits into that it doesn't. universe. Some of them are standalone. Some of them fit yeah. into the timeline. Uh, you can know you that... can notice by design basically, like the design yeah. of the characters. I don't I don't like the design of Superman in their new Fifty Two thing. I think it's, it's fine. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan. All but right. then again, uh, then I also. St- started rewatching Young Justice because it's pretty good. And, <laughs> it's you know. awesome. Yeah. I didn't I haven't watched the new season of that, so I'm going to finish those two seasons and then I'm going to watch the new season, I think. Yeah, I watched season 3 like a year ago. They should be out with season 4, right? Uh I don't so, know if they're making a season 4. I I I think they are. I mean, go ahead, Steve. What have, what have you been up to? All right. So one thing that I want to mention is that I saw a pretty good documentary recently. Uh, okay. It's it's out. It's really new, so it's been out like a couple of days on Netflix. It's called Athlete A. Oh, I watched that as well. Oh, you watched it as well. What yeah. did you think about it? It was horrifying. <laughs> it was very. I I think it's a very good documentary, but it is. Oh yeah, it's horrifying. very good. And then doc, the documentary, they explained that they took the the coaches for Nadia Comaneci. And they, that's how they built the U.S. Olympic team that later started winning medals after medals after medals. And that's yeah. how the policy basically became to train uh, athletes for athletism at a very young age, the way Nadia was. Because uh. I think Nadia was 15 when she won gold medal, when she got the perfect 10. So she she was also an Olympic gymnast? Yeah. Oh, so you don't okay. know anything about... Nadia or no. Okay, so Nadia Comaneci is a Romanian athlete 
who mm-hmm. was the first athlete in Olympics history to score perfect 10. Eight. As it, it's it's comical to see the footage because the scoring boards were not made for 10s. They were made for grades from 0 to 9. 9 point whatever. And so they had uh, to they had to write 10 on the scoring so they wrote it as 001. Imagine that as a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, and um, so also she scored another perfect 10 which is crazy like a couple of years later. Damn. Yeah, and and so after that like everybody was looking into this like what the fuck is going on, you know? Like cuz it's not like Romania had a specifically good track record at athleticism or anything. Uh, okay. And so out of this came the policy of it, apparently if you if you train athletes from a really, really young age, basically selecting them when they're three and training them from then on, their mm-hmm. bone structure gets molded in a different way. Ah, okay, yeah. So that you're basically bred and made for this sport. Essentially. Which which you also see a bit in the docu- in the Athlete A documentary where a lot of the the women that talk about so we should probably clarify it's about the uh, usa gymnastics uh sexual assault scandal yeah that came out a few years ago it it started uh, coming out in 2015 and it concluded essentially last year yeah with um with the big the big story being their what was he, he was their like physical examiner yeah nasa Right. Yeah, Larry N- Nassar or Nassar, or however you pronounce his last name, uh, having sexually assaulted, oh my God, hundreds. Yeah, probably hundreds of athletes. And uh, like essentially, you know, like he would motivate his techniques by saying mm-hmm. like, oh, I have to repair like bones and whatever. And yeah. uh, he would essentially like finger, you know, little girls yeah. and stuff during their medical you know, uh, checkups and stuff. It was horrible. Yeah. I what mean, the fuck? just, just the, uh, there is, there's a scene in the documentary where he's being interviewed by police, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and they ask him pretty gruelingly, have you ever like done graphic stuff? And he's literally just in there. Oh, if I have to like, what is he say? Like heal a collarbone or something. And I was like, what? You're... Yeah, essentially, he was using medical terminology to hide the fact that there was no yeah. real reason for what he was doing. Yeah. Like, oh, this is my technique. I just shove my fingers inside a, a little girl. That's that's how I yeah. healed them. Like, what the, the fuck? You know. Uh, but what I appreciated about documentary is that it gives you the full backstory. Like, the, the I forget their name. The, the two trainers for Nadia. Yeah. Uh, I think... They are Romanian, but they're like a Hungarian uh, oh. ethnics because uh, they have like names like Bela or that's Bela. It's like a Hungarian name. Um, and the, they defected and then they became the trainers for the U.S. national team. Yeah. Uh, and they apply the same techniques as with Nadia. They, they trained kids from really young and both reports from inside of Romania and from outside report them as being very, very rough. Yeah. You know, like physically abusive and verbally yeah. abusive and that kind of stuff. And so that kind of opened the door for Larry Nasser to be like this sort of 
comforting presence. You know, the, he would sneak them candy, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, he would be more supportive. And that was something that he, you know, used to abuse these 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 girls. You know, yeah. and it's also said that the two of them, because the two of them ran a camp. And that's where yeah, most of the abuse a, happened, apparently. A ranch. Yeah, a ranch that acted as a camp or something. Yeah. And they, the two trainers, were aware of this, uh, and they didn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty obvious in the documentary that both. Well, you can always argue the two trainers, but I mean, it's. I I would assume they also knew, but at least USA Gymnastics knew. Yeah, because the parents like, found out and they filed yeah. complaints. And U.S. Gymnastics essentially, you know, covered it up. Like, there is a there's a brief mention in the documentary that they had, like, complaints from, like, 50 different trainers. Like, 54 or something. Like, and that's in, like, 54 different trainers? It's like, holy sh... Yeah, none of this raises any eyebrows, No. <laughs> And it, it actually got me thinking, it was very interesting when I was watching the documentary that um, when you when you train people for these types of things, even like things that you maybe train people at a younger age, but if you are on a high enough level, like these, these women that are interviewed uh, in the documentary were like Olympic level. Almost. Some of them were Olympic levels. Yeah, some, some of, them, of them made the Olympic team. Yeah, yeah and won gold. And like when you're training people for anything, you're usually doing it uh, at a very early age. And it all, it got me thinking that like, you can, you can get away with some really intense stuff. Like, because there is this, this idea of you have to do what you can to win. Yeah. And like, if you, if you train somebody for like, I don't know, tennis, they, they also start very early if they want to be like, you know, the top. Mm-hmm. And if your trainer is just like, you know what, I'll push him like five percent over what's ethically correct, just so he can be better. Like, that's that's basically abuse through through like training. Yeah, and th- like, if that where keeps does, going, where then... does abuse start, and where does yeah. you know like a, a motivational training end? You know. Yeah. Uh, and. There, there is one person in the documentary, I can't remember, I think it's one of the uh, parents that mentions that it's like, oh, that wouldn't have happened with older athletes. It's because they're so young. Exactly. And and I was, I was basically thinking, well, couldn't that also happen? Because you actually do see a lot of older athletes who are also in like, like been trained from like, from like very young age by abusive trainers who still have the abuse and you see also the idea of being pushed out into you see that a lot with cycling being pushed out into like doping and stuff because you have to win so you know ethics isn't really a, a line people are not willing to cross or whatever yeah i you know? think that's also true but the thing you have to consider is that if you have a longer career like you're yeah. you're already into your adulthood there's a good chance that you might have changed trainers or change sponsors or you know that kind of stuff yeah like uh and also most sports out like we're talking outside of athletism athletism the peak is the olympics you know for it like that's that's where you want to 
get like if you want to become like really top of the line yeah but other sports like let's say you're in basketball like yeah you know basketball has a you know every country has their own internal division you know M uh-huh. essentially nba equivalents and then you have the olympics so you have different trainers for everything like also like uh-huh. football you have the national team you have a trainer for that but you also have yeah. the private football clubs and those have so it's it's a bit different whereas i think yeah, in yeah. athletism you essentially stick with the same trainer all the way you know well they they do mention of course nassar wasn't a trainer he was a physical examiner but he was he was only like examining specific other teams outside of the sort of us national team yeah i think but and then of course there then there of course are the two the two trainers with their camp which just seems like a, that's a thing everybody who was at a high enough level level goes to yeah i think uh, it's just because of their status because they won like a crazy amount of medals yeah like like you know they had the athlete who scored the uh, the first perfect 10 in the history of olympics you know which is insane uh i i wanted i know it's it was probably difficult from a pr standpoint to because i wanted to see what nadia komanich had to say about this uh. because she's a i think she lives in oklahoma now uh oh. well she lives like part-time in romania and part-time she has like dual citizenship or something oh, okay but it also just made me think that like of course there's been this uh documentary only focuses on usmg usa gymnastics and focuses quite heavily on the larry nassar case yeah uh for obvious reasons but it just makes me think that if you actually went into every other like big sport that you would find a lot of the same things oh yeah definitely perhaps maybe not sexual assault but at least you know emotional and physical yeah uh, through like excessive training uh well for the longest time the idea was and i actually like i was thinking like i experienced a lot of this in my childhood mm. where you know if you want to achieve some level of performance mm. you have to endure abuse from your teachers and from your coaches yeah. and whatever like for example like when i was in in middle school and even high school a lot of teachers were pushing for uh they're also called the olympics but they're like the olympics for math and uh english oh, and yeah. all this other stuff and uh they they if you got down that rabbit hole they can push you pretty hard you know and uh. it's like the the documentary sort of asks this questions a bit indirectly but you know the question is how far do you want to go for this you know like yeah. is this even worth it like i mean at the end of the day these people do gymnastics and athletics because they like it yeah. not because it makes them feel miserable you know mm. i mean i can talk a little bit about training under a under olympic trainer or former olympic trainer i will mm. add uh because i used to row when i was younger when i was like 15 or 16 all right and uh my local rowing club uh was actually the home of the gold what we call the gold four which is basically our olympic four uh team of rowers or team of four rowers uh 
and I used to train actually with their old trainer who was old Olympic trainer. Nice. Uh, and he was, he was like, if you want to, like he, he was very much of the, the kind of like, if you just want to row because it's fun, you do that, obviously. But if you want to compete, it's a whole different level. Like, like if I had stayed long enough, I, I stayed there for like a year or something. Uh, but if I had stayed there for multiple years and started competing, I would have been in a different level of training than I was. And I was, I was training pretty hard. Uh, not to an abusive level. He was, he was pretty good at like, hey, you know, don't, don't overdo yourself. Don't kill yourself, basically. Mm. Because we weren't training to compete. We were just training to row, you know. But there, there is a very... Like you can clearly see with a trainer like that when like the Olympic side comes up in him and he goes like, oh, you can you can do a little bit more of that, you know? Yeah. Uh, in the documentary, you see the extremes of that, which is, yeah. you know, performing moves with broken bones. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, the... the perf- oh, it was I one of I the US... Uh, yeah. One of the US uh, athletes. Who who sticks like the landing on one leg because she basically broken the other leg like holy shit christ but you know at the same time like i'm trying to put myself like she worked her entire life to get there you know yeah it's like what the fuck am i supposed to do just give up yeah yeah like Like, give up now you know but at the same time how much is it worth you know you know, like you're in real danger there. Like, what if you just break your other mm-hmm. leg, or even, I don't know, like essentially damage your other leg beyond recovery? Mm-hmm. You know. The yeah, thing... but then there, then there's also like the idea of is it worth it to, to like physically ruin your own body to to achieve a gold medal? Like, yeah. But of course, I, we're we're talking about this issue, but the main issue of the documentary is the sexual abuse by yeah larry nasa which is just so horrific god damn i mean there uh he made videos about it yeah like a web course about how yeah to do he, it. Had, he had this he had this website where he was like showing off training or like how you can treat your your athlete basically and oh those those videos made me sick man <laughs> it's a must watch documentary Oh yeah, it's really good. Uh, oh, I watched Ghost in the Shell. That's right. That's right. Oh yeah, you finally watched Ghost in the Shell. I watched the new Netflix 3D show. It's called yes. Ghost in the Shell. S A S A C colon two zero four five. Oh my God! How does Japan make their shows so unmarkable? Un- unmarketable. I don't know. It's it's the it's the third season technically of like standalone complex. Yeah. It's uh yeah overall I really enjoyed it. Once it got going, I thought it it was basically you know like standalone complex. Yeah, like once you get you you said four episodes. I would I would argue like maybe five, maybe six. Uh, well, but, near, yeah. Near once the you... end of that subplot, it started to get you know a bit more exciting. Because uh, yeah, they break into the house, and then you have the guy who wobbles like a fish everywhere. The naked dude, yeah. The naked dude, the 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 misley man. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Overall, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, 
the the stuff that you said is strange definitely was strange for me like the lip movement was definitely yeah. odd especially because i watched it with the dub so the yeah. the movement wasn't matching that well anyway yeah i also i also ended up watching the rest of the show in the dub i watched like the first few episodes subbed and then the dub came out uh but uh it's i definitely liked watching it with the dub just because it reminds me of the old episodes you know because the whole voice it's the cast same is team, back so. yeah yeah i like the fact that they focus more on togusa because uh mm. i always thought he was like an emotional center for the show because he's the most human i believe out of yeah. the maybe the maybe the chief the old man might be also human yeah but to, but you know the chief is just the chief togusa is like main part of the yeah the team uh yeah i think he is the most human i don't actually does he have any augmentation he has like a port like uh, uh I, I believe yeah. all humans at this point have a at least a small form of augmentation outside of old yeah. people i think old people don't have any um he has like the the least amount of augmentation okay also, speaking of old people, <laughs> there's an episode centered around Batu, which was one of my favorite episodes, probably of the whole standalone complex series. Like just like a bank robbery by a bunch of old people, and Batu is smack dab in the middle of it. Yeah. It's just great. It was fantastic. It was a great yeah. portrayal of you know people disenfranchised by technology, and uh, you know they're essentially attempt to better themselves. Uh, <laughs> I like how the police is even a bit like, well, I don't know what we're we're supposed to do. We didn't have a bank robbery in over twenty five years. <laughs> uh, that's a good episode. That's a really good little episode. Yeah, uh, I hope we get more of those for. So they have announced a season two of this or a part two of this because it's only like twelve episodes. Yeah, and it it does end on a cliffhanger. It does. Which essentially actually, that the final main shot. Essentially, I the like. main plot line doesn't get resolved regarding yeah. the what is it called the uh after humans what are they called yeah uh, the post humans post humans yeah yeah uh i like the final shot that like zoom out shot of them standing in the uh, in the woods that felt very i was gonna say de palmer for some reason it felt Brian it, it looked like twin peaks <laughs> Yeah, a little bit like that as well. Yeah, I, I would also say I really enjoyed it, and I hope that we get a few more standalone episodes in part two. Yep. Regarding the CG, a lot of the environments do look really cool. Like now that they're in CG, uh. like you, uh, one of the episodes you're you're tracking uh, one of the post humans, and it's a POV shot. Yeah. And uh, it's the boxer. Who ends up like uh, smashing uh, that guy's head in at the end of the POV shot? And I yeah. thought that looked really good. I think the environments looked a lot better when they moved to just regular city instead of like, like desert, Mad Max in the first bit and forest in the later bits. I think when they were just in like Tokyo, it looked pretty okay. I agree. I also noticed that. Uh, in the in the old people episode, Batu is wearing his uh, Ghost in the Shell one outfit. Oh. He's wearing that that uh, white jacket, you know, the white. Uh, I assume it's supposed oh, to be bulletproof yeah. jacket. You know, he yeah. he's basically dressed like a. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Huh. So definitely recommend if you 
you can't watch this show if you if you're not a fan of Ghost in the Shell. You, you just can't. There's no way you could watch this. Yeah, it's they try to have the show be like like if you haven't watched Standalone Complex, you should be fine. But you're not. But you're not. Like there's a lot of like I mean, they do they do touch on it a bit with sort of Tokusa's personal relationship and things like that, but like the 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 problem with the first four to five episodes is that the initial premise of the show has your head spinning where it's like where it's like what wait what just happened what there's like what Uh there's been like an economic crisis and a war and there's like like i still don't understand what exactly a sustain sustainable war is per se yeah me neither like but that that's happening and you still don't understand what that is and yeah, you're just banking on, you know, seeing the characters again that you know from yeah. the previous show. So my recommendation is if you haven't seen Standalone Complex, the anime from the early two thousands, go watch that. It hold up. It holds up really well. Oh looks, yeah, it holds up great. Looks tremendous. And then if uh, you want, watch this. Well, uh, watch the movie. The Oh my god. Explaining this to somebody who isn't a fan is almost impossible. Uh, like, you, there's two seasons, and then there's a, a movie called uh, Solid State Society. Yeah. Uh, so that's the movie that ends the show, sort of. And then there's this. So it's two seasons, a movie, and a third season. Yeah. It would be nice if Netflix actually put up the old season, or the old series. Oh, I have it stored... <laughs> uh, I actually noticed they put up um, Bone, the Danish TV show, because they're making season four with in collaboration with with uh, Danish radio with GR. Oh really? Yeah, I think it's gonna be like uh, DR gets to like it's gonna be some co-financial thing, and then DR gets to air it, and then maybe in Denmark it's gonna be on their service, and then for for rest of the world, it's just going to be on Netflix. All right. Cool. But I think it's going to be on Netflix for us anyway, because Netflix for us is like Scandinavia, basically. So. Shall we move on to the main topic of the yes. episode? So, as you might know, or may not know, uh, we are, the d- director, Joel Schumacher, passed away uh, a couple of days ago. And we have decided to do a in memoriam episode for him, where we discuss some of his movies and some of his contributions, and yeah, just generally talk about him. You know, yeah, we like Joe Schumacher. I mean, I do. I don't know Daniel. If you I do. also like Joe Schumacher. There you go. Uh, he passed away on June twenty twenty second, two thousand twenty. He was born on August 29th, nineteen thirty nine. Eighty years old. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I mean, he, uh, he died after complications with cancer, I believe. Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah. What was your uh, introduction, if you will, to Joel Schumacher, the director? I mean, it was it was it was his Batman movies. <laughs> no doubt. Obviously. So, like, if anybody doesn't know, Joel Schumacher as a director is probably most remembered in a what is considered an infamous way, but we'll talk about that. 
uh, yeah. for his Batman movies. So the original movies from the 90s started with the uh, 89 Batman by Tim Burton, followed by a sequel also by Tim Burton called Batman Returns. And then because that was so dark that they uh-huh. couldn't sell toys for it, <laughs> they, uh, yeah. they, they switched directors and they hired Joel Schumacher to direct Batman Forever. Uh, that's the one with Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face and uh, Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Yep. They also switched, I believe, uh, ba- yeah, Batman's not played by, uh, what's his name? Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. And he's played Just by Val Kilmer. Kilmer, yeah. Essentially, by the time the series ends, the only reoccurring cast member is the butler. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Batman Forever did pretty well and is considered okay by most people. But then Batman and Robin came out, the, the the fourth movie, also directed by Joel Schumacher, and that's considered one of the worst movies ever made. Everybody made fun of the made fun of it endlessly. It's a very easy movie to make fun of, so everybody made fun yeah. of it for years. I mean, uh, it is also. It was also what was it ninety seven? Yeah, yeah. So it would have been you know just at the cusp of like a lot of. Uh, sort of comic book things would go mainstream uh, less than a decade afterwards you know yeah, it was also because you had the you had the x-men movies and the spider-man movies coming out exactly. uh, just like four or five years after that and once that started swarming in like the the internet sphere or whatever uh, a lot of reviewers would then go back to especially batman and robin to shit on it yeah and uh, essentially, it read pretty much like a incongruous movie to what fans of comic book characters wanted to see at the time. Like, what what people were reading was Batman: The Dark Knight Returns and all these other darker stories. Yeah. And here comes Batman and Robin, which is a goofy, very goofy comic book movie. You know? Oh yeah. It's we'll essentially closer to the adam west running with a bomb with a shark on your leg type thing than Uh, you know more serious growly which which would which would end to what batman the the movie series would become which is the christopher nolan trilogy yeah and then later Zack snyder influenced and and of course now we're hotly awaiting the new one or uh, i don't know I don't hotly know. awaiting I'm, I'm lukewarm probably. i'm lukewarm awaiting <laughs> oh I, I i read some rumors about about what's going to happen with that because it's a planned trilogy oh no and i read some rumors <laughs> that made me stone cold anyway daniel what's your opinion on uh, joel schumacher's two batman movies i okay when i was so i've grew up grown up with these movies because they came out when i was you know quite young a wee lad uh, a wee lad and also it coincided with like you could get them on you know vhs and later dvds i actually own them on dvd uh i own all the batman movies on dvd actually uh la-di-da la-di-da i also own most of the superman movies take that as you will uh and most yeah, which one it, are you missing uh, I think I'm missing like Quest for Peace, which fair enough. <laughs> I don't, I'm think, missing, like, I don't think most people are even considering that canon at this point. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and I'm missing like uh, Man of Steel. Then you're missing Man of Steel, Jesus. Um. Anyway, continue. But, but yeah, it it coincided with you know, 
we would we would have those movies on like VHS and then later on my dad bought them for me on DVD and uh, I actually when I was a kid I had the uh, Batman and Robin Batmobile as a toy. <laughs> I also had the I had the Batman and the and the Robin action figures from Batman and Robin because they have nipples on them. Uh, <laughs> because they have nipples on them. No, but they also uh, like the designs of the suit match the movie and everything. Yeah. So I, I've always had a bit of a fondness for these movies, but of course, as I got more into the sort of internet movie sphere or whatever you want to call it, the circle jerk. People commenting about movies on the internet, making shows and everything like, I guess we can yeah. give some name like the Nostalgia Critic is one that I'm thinking yeah. of that I saw. Early. I'm also, yeah, I'm also thinking of the Nostalgia Critic, which, you know. And the uh, the uh, to an extent, like I also I I remember uh, seeing some clips from the Red Letter Media commentary track for Batman and Robin. Uh, uh. <laughs> and yeah, that that sort of sort of opened me up to all the criticism that was about it. But I don't know. I've I've never been the kind of guy to like write in comment extension how much I hate a movie or things like that. I'm always so to me they have a sort of nostalgic joy towards them and i rewatched batman and robin here at the beginning of the week because of course <laughs> uh i also rewatched and it. it's it's fun like yeah is it a great movie no but it's fun like and i i feel like not to maybe this is a bit too extreme but i feel like a lot of the criticism that is legitimate towards the movie, especially Batman mm. and Robin. They ca- Batman and Robin and Batman Forever, I think, f- would share a lot of the same criticism because they're kind of the same in a lot of yeah. ways. But uh, j- just because Joe Schumacher applies the same type of style to them and everything. Mm. But if there are criticisms, I feel like a lot of them should be directed at the script, especially for Batman yeah. and Robin. Because there's so oh, yeah. many lines that are just terrible terrible you you mean fantastic well some of them <laughs> go into fantastic but some of them are just straight up bad like the problem is yeah. you have characters that are a bit more bombastic like you have mr freeze played by arnold schlossniger and you have a uh, poison ivy played by uma thurman and they are sort Who are of great yeah they're great because they're campy super villains yeah but then you have alicia silverstone as a yeah what barbara she? barbara gordon She's... No, she she plays like Barbara Pennyworth. Oh, that's even worse. Anyway, like, yeah, she plays a uh, Barbara Wilson. It said in the movie. And, yeah. Uh, so she's supposed she's, to be Alfred's niece. She's like niece. Alfred's, yeah, Alfred's niece. And she's still called Barbara. And she, every every line she has is the worst thing you ever heard in your life. Like, yeah. As in, she has. I I have seen Alicia Silverstone and other stuff. I know she can do well. It's just uh. because she has no personality in the movie and yeah. her dialogue is also terrible. Like she has lines like suit me up uncle Alfred and like, Ugh. Ugh. and all <laughs> these stupid lines like, oh, and, and she's not alone. Batman as well played by George Clooney, Bruce Wayne also has some really shit lines. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, the, the especially, with... especially when he's Bruce Wayne. Cause when he's Batman, oh, yeah. you get the sort of, surreal effect of a, a person in a batman suit saying these stupid lines like a uh, back credit card never leave the cave without it <laughs> type of thing. i i just think of the first line of the entire movie hey freeze i'm is, batman 
no, no. Isn't that it's, the first line? No, nope, oh, the first line of Batman and Robin is, it's Robin going, chick stick the car. I like the car, <laughs> chick stick the And Alan Batman turns and says, uh, that's why Superman works alone or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. But his I mean, lines bad, as, but it's great. His lines as Bruce Wayne are more bad than, you know, funny yeah. bad because you don't yeah. get that artifice of somebody in a bad suit. Like yeah. also it's comical. I think they also had this problem for the previous Batman movies. But mm. the costume is so stiff in this one. Yeah, for, the costume for is, Batman. I mean People people shit up on the bat nips. I don't hate the bat nips. I think they're kind of fun. We can but, talk about those separately, but yeah. Yeah, but the it's just so stiff. Like the cowl is just one giant piece of rubber, which just means you can't move your head. So whenever he moves around, he like scuttles around. It's hilarious. Uh, which was then remedied by Christopher Nolan in The Dark Knight, where he actually gave batman like a like a neck piece that meant he could actually move his head it's crazy that it took uh, that long for somebody to figure out uh, that maybe the actors should be able to move their neck <laughs> but this is this is also a problem in like tim burton's movies yeah i don't know why it's more noticeable in batman and robin it's like in the first scene when when george clooney turns he looks like he's yeah. about to fall over like <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> he, look, he looks like he's on a like like they put him on a like stiff board and they're just turning him on his axis like it's uh, it's so weird it's very comical yeah that's that's the thing so much of this movie comes across like the i sort of think that batman in order to work as a character you need to put a lot of artifice around him uh. that hides his uh flaws like yeah. You need to light him in a certain way so that the costume texture doesn't look too rubbery, you know? Yeah. You need to hide also through lighting and other things. You need to hide the fact that he's basically a dude wearing really thick eyeshadow. Yeah. You know? You and, and this movie like, oh my god, you, you can just like because the color of the costume is slightly grayish. You, mm. you can see like the, it's just a dude with really thick eyeshadow you know like it's hilarious but what i will give uh, joel, joel schumacher's batman movies is they have style to spare like it's true which people I also criticize and i'm like dude come on it, like rewind back to the chicks dick the car scene <laughs> just because it's great after Batman drives off in, in my opinion, one of the coolest Batmobiles. It has a fucking disco ball in the front. It's great. <laughs> uh, you have this box coming up and opening with, like, neon signs of Robin's symbol as it has his motorcycle in it. Like, come on, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, did you notice like, that when he bursts, when they, when they encounter Freeze and they, like, Batman bursts through the ceiling... Uh, uh, and the Robin on a motorcycle bursts through a door, and the shape a that Robin, the door is a, is the Robin. There's symbol. a Robin shape hole. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that in the background, and I just I just burst out laughing because it's it's perfect. It's exactly like this movie should be. This, 
I, I can't believe that some people take this seriously. Like, can you believe yeah, that they did like, this? Like, do you watch the movie? This movie is a joke. Like, it's it's a yeah, it's a haha. It's funny. I get like, that people were because uh, especially like let's say you you leap from Batman Returns to this one, which Batman Returns is also stylish, but it's more in a Tim Burton darkish way. Yeah. Where in that movie, like Penguin rips somebody's nose with his mouth, or something. Yeah, like pe Penguin is basically a horror movie character. Yeah, and then you go into this, which is yeah. <laughs> the like none of this is you none of this you can take seriously. Mm. I think what people dislike also is that at that point, Mister Freeze was starting was starting to get more attention as a serious, more mm. Shakespearean villain. You know, tragic backstory with his wife and everything. Yeah. And in this movie, he's a goof. Although, like, one of my favorite things about both of Joe Schumacher's movies is the villains seem... Most of the villains seems to know exactly what movie they're in. Like, you have Jim Carrey, who actually, I think, gives a really good Riddler performance because he just knows exactly what movie he's in and goes full ham in only the way Jim Carrey can. And you have Uma Thurman and Arnold Schwarzenegger just like camping it up in these movies and i love it well, some of the things that i wanted to address is that i feel like a lot of the criticism has been geared towards the i don't know the uh, some people call them overt homoerotic tones of the movies you know like you have yeah. a batman wearing like anatomically correct bodysuit with nipples and everything uh. And uh, sort of, there's there's bizarre moments, definitely, <laughs> with all of I mean, the characters. You, you also have to mention that Gotham is filled with, like, these Grecian statues of, of shirtless men. Yes. And things like that. There's, there's a lot of, you can read a lot of queer theory into Joel Schumacher's Batman movies. Yeah. And people want. were like, what the fuck, man? What is all this queer imagery in my Batman movies? Batman is cool, not gay. And, I mean... I don't know if you read the interview with um oh, what's what it's Grant Morrison. Uh, one of the, yes. yeah Grant yes. Morrison who is one of the most celebrated like Batman writers uh, just comic writer book of Batman comics in general yeah. yeah but he he's written a lot of very celebrated Batman comics and even he acknowledges that Batman is kind of gay <laughs> well it's a it's it's a kind of a gay concept where you know you have this this middle-aged man who doesn't have mm. time for girls he just hangs around with his little boy buddy friend and his old butler uh. <laughs> solve crime like it is and he has like these uh, overt costume and everything like yeah, yeah it is pretty gay uh <laughs> but you know i feel like a lot of people especially like 97 didn't understand this at all like they're uh. just like what the fuck man batman's dark and I feel like we should mention that Joel Schumacher is also or was one of the few openly gay filmmakers in Hollywood exactly. still. Yeah. Like and very uh, early on, like basically yeah. since the late 70s. Uh, and I don't actually think that influenced his Batman movies that much, because if you look at a lot of his other movies, like like he is very stylized in some ways, like Flatliners, the original Flatliners, not the new one. Yeah, the 90s uh, one. Yeah, that one is very stylized, but it's... I, like, I wouldn't attribute him being gay to the look. Yeah, I feel like that's so this. stupid. Like, oh, 
Yeah. It's because the director's gay. That why the movie's that's why the movie's gay. It's like what? Like what? the director doesn't make every piece of the movie. They're set designers oh. and people who make the costumes and everything. It's not you know, I feel so bad about it about it because he had to apologize endlessly for the bat nipples. Yeah. It's like there's an extra on the DVD, I believe, right, where he's like, if I offended anybody about the bat mm. nipples, I apologize. <laughs> and it's like And he's also stated multiple times that these weren't really the movies he wanted to make. Like he he's a big Batman or was a big Batman fan himself and talked a lot about if he wanted to if he could make the Batman movie he wanted to make, he would make like year one, which is again another celebrated Batman comic that is a lot more serious. Yeah. Basically Batman begins. He essentially threw a bunch of neon lights at the Batman movies and went like, well, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I love there's a recounting by George Clooney. I think he was on Inside the Actor Studio. He talked mm. about his experience working with Joel Schumacher. Essentially anybody who talks about Joel Schumacher who worked with him says that he's a very nice man and very easy yeah. to work with. And uh <laughs> George Clooney said like I was on set in my Batman costume. I couldn't move. I was brought in on a, like, you know, one of those uh, uh, things that, you know, you prop up like, a, you know, on, oh, on yeah. two wheels. like, <laughs> And uh, <laughs> I was propped up. Can we get up. an image of that? <laughs> like, I want to see an image of that. <laughs> he says, like, I was propped up and Joel was yelling into the, into the, into his little microphone, saying, like, all right, George. Your parents are dead. You got nothing to live for. And action on Batman. <laughs> it's it's just hilarious. Because, yeah, they are made from a point of view. That's what fans of comic books probably hate the most. Is people who sometimes feel like they don't understand comics make comic book movies. Uh. But at the same time, you know, it's just another version of Batman that's yeah. that's what I love about it so much is that in some ways Batman and Robin predicted the future of what Batman is today you know like you look at tell me you like you haven't seen some of the sets the way they're drawn on in Harley Quinn and made yeah. you think of Batman and Robin I mean seriously when I rewatched Batman and Robin I was thinking of like future Batman the way they draw Gotham uh, which is way more vertical and has a lot more of those like floating highways and stuff. They don't have the full Grecian statues, which sadly, uh, but it is a very more, it's a much more vertical Gotham and a lot more like seedy Gotham in a way. Like, uh, and yeah, also the way Harley Quinn draws it. And even like, I know that a lot of uh, the films have gone towards a more like just regular city gotham like it's usually chicago or like new york that that like is the set for gotham but i can even see a little bit of joel schumacher's in in joker in the way that character is portrayed of course they try again i don't like that movie but they try to give it with a bit more seriously but i could totally see like that version of joker sort of showing up with a bit more of a campy attitude in like a joel schumacher version like it's uh, like it, it, the the thing is it, it what I what I think is 
the coolest about Batman as a character and as a concept is that it, it's so plastic that you uh. you can mold it into anything you want. Like there's been yeah. gazillions of versions of Batman throughout history and they're all different. Like yeah. anything could be considered Batman at this point. You know, like you have Lego yeah. Batman and you have which is great. Yeah, you have serious Batman from like the Nolan movies and you have like the Batman from Harley Quinn is amazing. It's great. But, you know, it's taken less seriously than other ones is and that mm. that's what makes it special, you know. And that's 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 what you can do with comic book characters. Like, you know, you can either fully dedicate yourself to the world and be like this is serious and we're going to treat the characters serious and all that. Mm. Or we can make it into a into a comedy, into a joke, you know, because yeah, it is kind of a funny concept, you know. It's not a yeah, it's not a serious like, thing, you know. And another thing, I will I will praise. This is just a general praise for the older Batman movies, not only Joel Schumacher but also Tim Burton, is that they were so stylized and so. How to put it? They weren't going for the realistic approach. Which also meant they could go for the weirder Batman's uh, Batman's villains. So you have villains like Mister Freeze and Poison Ivy and Riddler and you know, Penguin which, and... and Penguin. Which I miss those villains on like a big stage. That's also why I like Harley Quinn because you get you get like Bane being a doof, and then you go you go to like Penguin's bar mitzvah and. <laughs> Yeah, the world of Batman is a bit goofy, you know? Yeah. And, and you can't do that in a 100% Christopher Nolan realistic take. Yeah. And I was wondering actually of replaying through uh, Batman Arkham City because I have it for PlayStation. And that I think is one of the perfect ways where they've they've like they've hit the perfect point of like still serious but still allowing it to have the like weirder elements in it of like the different villains. Hell, Clayface is in that game. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> uh, also, what I like about Batman and Robin is uh, Bane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that there, I think there's a photo of, Bat of uh, Bane and uh, Poison Ivy because they're sort of a, a duo in the mm. movie. And uh, I think somebody gives a photo to batman of uh like well we spotted we spotted poison ivy and bane in gotham and there's a photo of them near a plane mm. when bane is wearing like a tuxedo and a hat mm. <laughs> over his mask and his huge body and it's like <laughs> do you think <laughs> Oh god, it's such a joke. It's such a farce. Although, know? even even though it is a joke, there is some obvious filmmaking. But like, yeah, the filmmaking is solid. Yeah, like there are, there are some shots specifically, and because I only watched Batman and Robin, I didn't watch uh, the uh, Batman Forever. But there are some shots in Batman and Robin that are really well done. There is like there's a shot of Mister Freeze sitting in his prison cell with like. He makes this little contraption where he makes like an ice sculpture of his wife that sort of spins around. Yeah. And the camera sort of spins around with him and like zooms into his face as the door to his cell open. And that's just a really good little piece of filmmaking. And 
especially when you get further into the movie and you get more into those like set pieces which are really actually quite good in these movies you get all the neon lights and the very impressive sets and you know it just all functions into something that's really entertaining <laughs> yeah the only thing that is just the worst is the dialogue in the script like yeah but we also have to like these movies were made to sell toys. Like McDonald's had a pass at the script before. Yeah, they you need to went put in more vehicles, more toys. Yeah. Like at the end, when they're racing towards Mr. Freeze's tower where he yeah. has his freeze gun and they each have their own vehicle. Like, oh my God, these mm. look like toys. <laughs> like, it looks like somebody yeah. has toys on set. But we should also, I feel like we should also talk about some of his other movies. Of course. Uh, right. So I've seen some of his other work, mainly because. Mm. You know, I always heard that he was a good director. You know, he yeah. he was getting maligned for these movies. I was like, yeah. okay, but let's see what else he's done. So the ones that I've seen from him, I've seen Phone Booth. Yeah, I've also seen that. And I really liked I actually it. actually didn't know it was him. I didn't know it was him who had done it. Well, that's the thing. Like, you yeah. know, while the Batman movies have their own style, and they're yeah. definitely distinctive, his movies from the Tim Burton movies, it's not like his other movies outside of the Batman universe are like the way you let's say you watch a Quentin Tarantino movie and you definitely can tell it's a Quentin Tarantino yeah. movie it's not the same where if you watch a Joel Schumacher movie each movie it's his own thing and has its own style yeah. you know so he's very versatile in that way yeah so if you watch phone booth it just reads as a good bottled movie a good thriller yeah it takes place in essentially a phone booth, you know, it's a it's a one location shot type thing, but it's oh. really impressive, I thought. Oh yeah, there's some really good tension for only being basically one location. And really cleverly shot. Uh, like, it, it just shows that if you... There are some filmmakers when given very limited scope can do really good work with it and i think joel schumacher shows he could do pretty good work with uh, with the limitation I, I also seen from him i've seen uh falling down i haven't seen that with uh, michael douglas <laughs> oh. it's a it's a very unique movie in the sense that uh, it's a movie that depicts uh, racism and to an extent white supremacy and obsession with guns as sort of a a response to you know personal struggles and sort of like the mm. way people use racism as a gateway to not dealing with their own issues mm. you know like uh, michael douglas basically plays a unhinged character who essentially resorts to violence against all kinds of groups not just racial groups but all kinds of groups to essentially run from his own internal problems mm. it's a very like stark depiction of that especially like since the movie was made in like the late the early 90s it's it's very much i believe ahead of its time in that sense mm. i also seen from him eight uh, millimeter with nicholas cage yeah i've also seen that i really like eight millimeter yeah that was one of his earlier ones wasn't it it was after the batman trilogy it's 99. That one's great. Yeah, Nicolas Cage has a good performance in it and it's very well shot that one in particular. Yeah. With a lot of a lot of creative camera angles and all that. 
you know. I mean, the closest I would argue to the Batman and Robin style is probably Flatliners. It's because it has the colorful, you know. Yeah, yeah. and very like gothic neon thing. But I, I would even argue that's closer to Tim Burton's version of Batman than than what we see in like Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. He was probably hired off of Flatliners for the Batman. Yeah, Flatliners movies. was before he did. I mean, I, looking at Flatliners and then looking at, you know, Tim Burton's, I could totally see why he would hire him based on that. Yeah. His last contributions were he directed a couple of episodes of uh, House of Cards. Yep. Episode five and six, yep. I believe. They're called chapters. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. They call all their episodes chapters. Because fuck you. Um... Because, yeah, he was, he was apparently really good friends with David Fincher and... I could totally see Which, that, you know. Yeah. If you think about it, their styles are kind of similar. Because before yeah. David Fincher was cold, stark realism, he was a bit more, I don't know, stylistic in his approaches. I mean, he still is very stylistic, eh, I would argue. Well. He moved that camera I mean, he, he moved that camera one centimeter. Mm. <laughs> so much intention. CGI those gummy bears. <laughs> God damn it. Uh... <laughs> But, like, I'm thinking more of his early efforts, like Seven and uh, Fight Club. Yeah. A bit more hyper-stylized, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, which sort of fits more to how Joel Schumacher directed movies. Mm. And they're just two directors who sort of came up in Hollywood around the same time. You know, the the sort of early 90s. Oh, Joel Schumacher is uh, way... Like, he's been in the industry way longer than David Fincher. Yeah, but, I mean, Fincher also was kind of in the industry. He did a lot of music videos before that. Uh, same with people like Ridley Scott. But, you know, they both, I would say, hit it pretty big in the 90s. Yeah, that's probably um, true. So, yeah. Plus, you know, if you follow Hollywood, especially Hollywood director circles, from around that time, a lot of people just know each other. Yeah. Because you just... You just know each other. And a lot of people liked Joel Schumacher because he was very reliable. And Yeah, like he seemed like a like a director who got got his things done. Yeah. And for all what I could find, he was really good with actors. Like actors really liked working with him. He was he was good on set. He was good in like uh, getting all the different departments to work together. He was a costume designer himself. Uh for a period so he was really good at getting all the different departments to sort of coordinate with each other like overall he was just a really good director to work with yeah like and i feel like he his legacy should be more than oh he's the guy who put nipples on the bat suit you know like <laughs> he, he you know he was an openly gay director in hollywood for like the longest period of oh. time and he got Which is still not a thing you see quite so often yeah and he got to yeah. a point where he was you know one of the biggest mainstream directors you know yeah which was probably hard for him being openly gay you know like mm. it must have sucked you know like after the fact you know people kept speculating like oh because he's gay that's why all these gay yeah. things showed up in the batman movies and it's like you know nobody knows for sure how much yeah. of anything influences anything so it's stupid. Especially when a movie as big as, like, would it be fair to say that the Batman movies are the biggest movies he worked on? Probably, yeah. But, yeah. Like, anything in those movies are influenced by, like, 
10,000 different decisions by 10,000 different people. Like, like sure, Schumacher had, a, had an input, and he, he probably had a lot of input in, in certain aspects, but attributing the style and a lot of the sort of specific stylizations to just his sexuality just is... It's wrong. Dumb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my favorite line from the Batman and Robin movies. Can you guess it, Daniel? Come on. Uh, I mean, I can give you my favorite line. Go. Ice to see you. (laughs) 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 The the ice puns kill me. Everything Arnold Schwarzenegger says in that movie is pure cheesy gold. Let's kick some ice. (laughs) Yeah. That one is also pretty good. The worst one is the first one he says, which is the ice band cometh. That that that's the worst <laughs> so one. So stupid. Uh, my favorite one is um, when Batman pulls uh, whips out his Batman credit card oh, and yeah. says, "Never leave the cave without it." <laughs> that one's pretty good as well. Even though, like, if you think in that scene, they're auctioning a woman. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? There are, there are some things in that movie that is like, wow, that would not have flown today. And there, there's like a guy in a, in a purple monkey suit, I think. There's multiple people in purple monkey suits. Bane I'm is sorry. in a purple monkey suit. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I feel like Batman has a, as a character has a lot of comedic potential because he's the serious, stern guy who, when he breaks character, quote-unquote, when he sort of engages in a funny it's uh, even more hilarious like i'm thinking they nailed it in the in the justice league cartoon that was uh, my favorite batman just because yeah. he could be slightly lighter than let's say the animated series uh, but you know he was still stern all the time but he had like moments of levity like my favorite gif from the animated series is batman falling asleep uh, <laughs> where I think it's the episode where the Justice League is has their dreams invaded by this uh, guy with a skeleton face, and the uh, Batman confronts him because he hasn't slept in days, so he, he doesn't, you know, is not affected, and he defeats him, but he's very tired at the end, so he falls asleep in a chair, and it's just Batman snoring. <laughs> it's hilarious. That reminds me, I should watch the Birds of Prey movie. I you haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen it yet. I've, I, it's, I recommend it. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's definitely miles better than Suicide Squad. I mean, everything. What isn't? Like, okay, <laughs> if people are going to keep saying that Batman and Robin is like the worst comic book movie ever made or the worst movie ever made, look at fucking Suicide Squad. I'm just saying. Yeah. Look at, you know, half of the efforts put up by the DC. <laughs> like, honestly, I I hope that DC gets a bit, bit more campy. They were a bit with Aquaman. I mean, a bit, a lot. And Shazam. And Shazam. I like Shazam. That I also good. like Shazam. And I would I would honestly hope we could get to a point where we could just stop taking... Like, the thing I love about the DC characters is that they are these larger-than-life, almost like god-like characters, especially Superman, who is just treated like any other person. Like, Superman is just a dude, you know? Yeah, he has flaws and everything, yeah. but he's, his flaws, like, because they also give him flaws in the Snyder movies, but it's made, like, such a big deal, yeah. you know, like, it's all like, oh, I'm a, I'm Jesus, but I don't want to be Jesus, and it's like, 
He's just a guy from Kansas. <sighs> yeah, in, give, in a, like, give him some levity, goddammit. Yeah. Can you imagine a Joel Schumacher Superman movie? I would watch the shit out of that, honestly. Like, I if think he, they were going to do it before they like uh, before Batman and Robin came out. Yeah. He was slated mm. to do it, but then the Batman and Robin bombed, uh. and so they canceled it. Honestly, if if he was allowed to do like a Superman movie he wanted to make, and of course nothing, not you know the made by committee thing that his Batman movies were, I think he could do a pretty good job. Certainly, be more fun than a uh, Batman than Superman Returns. Ugh. Jesus Christ! Jesus Christ! I recently, I, I when I watched it recently, uh. I don't know why. I think it's because I was cleaning my hard drive and I found it and I watched a bit of it. Uh, it's so fucking boring, man. Uh. Jesus. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, Joe Schumacher, check out. Check out some of his movie, eight millimeter foam booth falling down. Flatliners. Flatliners, yes, thank you. Uh, I have a movie from his from his earlier filmography that I have on my watch list that I haven't watched yet, which is called Saint Elmo's Fire. Oh yeah. I want to check out that one. It's one of his first movies. It stars Demi Moore, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Judd Nelson. That's a pretty good cast. Yeah, so I want to check out that one. So if you want to check that out as well, be my fucking guest. He also directed The Lost Boys, which is... Yeah, which is also very good. Yeah, it's a well-known movie. I haven't seen it, but a lot of people say that it's It's really really good. good. Yeah. Okay. It's it's that era of like young horror comedies kind of a thing. Okay. Would I I call it a comedy? Uh, It's kind of funny in a way, yeah. Kind of like an American werewolf in London. It looks like Stand By Me with Vampires. That's basically also what it is, kind of. All right. <laughs> um, so yeah, check out some of his movies. Give it a go, Joel yeah. Schumacher. Come on. Oh, I have I had like a, a a line written for the end here, but I'm not sure if it's too stupid. Um, what is it? I wrote down Joel Schumacher will never leave the cave without him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said it now, so fuck it. Yeah. Um. I feel like the thumbnail for this episode should be the back credit card. <laughs> With like Joel Schumacher's name on it. Yes, yes. Ah, gold. Anyway, shall we move on to part two? Let's move on to part two. So this is the end of part one of our episode. Uh, remember, you can uh, follow this podcast on all the platforms of your choosing. And uh, if you so wish, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that helps us a lot in our exposure yep so that's the end of part one i had never made a batman movie before and that was fun i had you know saint almost fire and lost boys and flatliners there had always been a lot of pressure on me to do a sequel and i always felt there were no sequels and i felt with batman well we'd had so much success and people wanted another one it seemed we try it sequels are only made for one reason to make more money 